Hunt's doing us on 99. Hits it. Brings up a first Big Bass Hunt for it to Marcus Stoinis. Well played to that man right there. That's right, this is going. Stoinis on 141. One of the great innings. Oh. And he caps it off in style with a six. Marcus Stoinis take a bow. 147 not out of 79 balls. A record-breaking innings at the MCG. Come on, Got it over from Shane Warne. Grab some people. Grab some more people. Shane, we have to ask you what happened out there with Marlon. Uh, with who, sorry? Uh, with who, sorry? I'm trying Hello and welcome back to Grab Some People. I'm Denim Moore, as always, and with me is Jake Graffiti. How are you going, Jake? Doing well, mate. Doing well. Been getting stuck into the big bash. Uh, it's coming thick and fast around this time of year, but uh, excited to uh, record another pod, mate. Fantastic. And we're also excited to be joined for the first part of this week's show by the Herald Sun's resident BBL and Supercoach expert, Tim Mitchell. And you can follow the great work Tim does in the Supercoach space on Twitter at Tim Mitchell. That's Tim underscore M-I-C-H-E-L-L. He also covers the AFL during the winter, I believe, and just is generally someone who knows what he's talking about, which should be a refreshing little change up for this podcast. So we're going to be having a look at some of the BBL headlines because there's been absolutely no shortage of those over the past week. So uh, thanks for taking the time and joining us, Tim. No, thanks for the pump-up, boys. I appreciate that. I don't know if you can live up to it all, but um, no, thanks for having me on. And yeah, appreciate the invite to join you as well. It's been, uh, well, we're already halfway through the BBL, which is pretty amazing to think about because, um, yeah, with all these rounds condensed, it's all, all uh, flash by really in the blink of an eye. But um, yeah, looking forward to what's going to be a pretty crucial uh, series of games coming up and as we build towards uh, this longer final series for this season as well. You're absolutely right in saying that it's, it's flown by with the condensed season. And um, re- regarding that, I've noticed that the Supercoach Twitter account at Supercoach HQ, there's absolutely no shortage of content there. You guys are pumping it out. So I was just wondering, what take us behind the curtain of a, a content producer. Have you got a big team there? Is it all yourself? Are you just pumping them all out yourself? Or uh, Yeah, so generally like there's a fair team of us um, like in the, the sport production side of things behind the scenes for we're looking after the website for the, the Herald Sun where I'm based and then there's guys up at uh, the other Daily Telegraph and Korea Mail as well. So the majority of um, our content production for cricket is done out of Sydney. And there's a guy, Tom Sangster, who anyone who plays uh, NRL yeah. Supercoach will know of Tom. Um, so he looked after a, a fair bit of um, the Supercoach BBL before I came into this role. Um, he actually went on to um, parental leave just before Christmas. So, um, yeah, uh, I've sort of taken on some of the lead with that for this summer and, um, yeah, with help from some of the other uh, crew in here as well and um, some other contributors and, and the like that we've got as well. So, yeah, it's just been crazy this, this year uh, sort of trying to get as many trade guides ready to go and uh, give people a couple of rounds to have a think about who they're going to bring in and, um, yeah, analyse the form and, and think about their trades and, and work out who's got the doubles and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's been uh, a very busy month or so, um, but certainly very enjoyable as well. And, yeah, we're just sort of very lucky to um, have some, some dedicated uh, well, BBL fans in the office, but also um, some guys that are really into Supercoach as well that certainly make my job very easy um, and, yeah, that's, uh, and pump out a lot of work themselves as well. Yeah, and so we understand that Supercoach is absolutely your wheelhouse, but we will start on... Uh, just for this chat on the the general BBL headlines that have that have gone before us in this past week, and 
We'll start with the most impressive one of those brilliant individual feats that we've seen, which is last night, Marcus Stoinis' incredible record-breaking innings. I guess with so much cricket going on since the expansion of the season, you really need those magic moments to keep the country tuned in. So how have you seen the standard of cricket generally so far in BBL9? Yeah, definitely. I think I think the one thing that I've really enjoyed about this season in particular and, and probably comes back to, to the role that I'm in as well is just the number of good storylines that we've seen thrown up. So, yeah, the latest was Marcus Stoinis's, uh record-breaking 147 against the Sixers, which are just absolutely phenomenal and, and what a campaign he's having despite the fact that he's not bowling. I think a lot of the, the super coaches would love him too because it would mean that he's uh, scoring more points, but... He's doing such a phenomenal job with the bat and he hasn't really had to just because of the bowling depth that the Melbourne Stars have got. So, yeah, yeah that was that was a great talking point as well. Um, certainly Glenn Maxwell answering what any critics that he had after being left out of the one-day team as well. And then you look at storylines that um, have come from maybe some of the lesser lights, like nobody had heard of uh, Harris Rolfe at the Melbourne Stars a month ago when he was signed uh, to play uh, great cricket down in Tasmania with Glenorchy. Now he's one of the leading wicket takers in the BBL and he's probably looking at big deals in the IPL and other uh, overseas T20 competitions as well. So his emergence has been great to watch too. And I think we're going to see uh, some of the other imports really come into their own in the second half of the BBL as well. So we're just seeing flashes from guys like uh, Phil Salt, the English opener from Adelaide, and then Liam Livingston as well. He's, he's hit a couple of nice scores now for the first scorchers too. So I feel like as uh, these imports get more used to the Australian pitches and the standard of competition in the BBL as well, that they're really going to come into their own too. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing what those two in particular can bring in the second half of the season. And um, then you look at another Englishman like Tom Curran as well. He's just gone from strength to strength. He took 20 wickets in the BBL last year. Um, he's contributing with the bat for the Sixers as well as the ball this year as well and doing a tremendous job. So, yeah, there's been plenty of great stories. And, and then I mentioned the lesser lights. Guys like um, John O'Wells, Bo Webster from the Melbourne Renegades, who's really been a shining light in... Uh, yeah. what has been a really tough campaign for them, losing their first nine games. And then um, one of my favourites, Daniel Sams from the Sydney Thunder as well. It's always good to see guys that um, maybe didn't have as big a profile going into the tournament as well, um, yeah, yeah, starting to put their name up in lights. And certainly those three um, have been pretty good stories so far as well. John O'Wells just batting so well with the way that he manipulates the field in those uh, middle overs, picks up his twos and threes, and then able to, to clear the boundary later in the innings. And, and yeah, as I say, Bo Webster's been batting in a pretty important role for the Renegades at four or five when really he's been on the fringes the last couple of seasons. And, and Daniel Sams, like, he's a pretty remarkable story in that he's barely fired a shot with a bat. I think he's made yeah. four ducks, three, three goldens, uh, a one or a two in there as well. So 23 runs when he's classed as an all-rounder. Um, but he's the, the leading taker in the BBL at the moment. So um, he's certainly doing his job for the Thunder too. And you could, write, you could reel off all those stories and then we probably still haven't got to the biggest one of all, which is that A.B. de Villiers is about to make his debut for the Brisbane Heat as well, one mm. of the best batsmen that we've ever seen in, in T20 cricket. So I think the tournament's only going to pick up from here with um, yeah, a player of his class and, and his calibre uh, turning out for the Brisbane Heat in, in the last six rounds and then uh, for Brisbane Heat fans, hopefully into finals as well. Yeah, the uh, the local boys, it's always good to see the local boys doing well. But as, as you said, the imports are just coming into their own now. And with, with AB coming as well, I don't think there's going to be any shortage of entertainment on the horizon. Speaking of a couple of those imports, uh, Rashid Khan and Harris uh, Harris Ralph, they took a hat-trick on, on the same day. And uh, that was that was probably one of the most exciting days of BBL that I've seen definitely in its, in its history. Yeah, it was amazing, wasn't it? So there was, uh, yeah, probably a bit of a lull. And I know, again, from a... A super coach perspective, a few people were uh, getting a bit stressed at the fact that Rashid really hadn't 
um, sort of done too much and he's usually one of the more prolific scorers and then um, lo and behold he comes out and, and takes a hat-trick in three balls and that, that deck over there at Adelaide's um, normally one of the more batsman-friendly pitchers in the BBL as well. So, yeah, just just phenomenal. But really, he just continues to um, well, dominate, really. He's, he's had such a big impact in the couple of seasons that he's been with Adelaide now. And obviously, that hat-trick was um, a highlight of what he's been able to do so far. But I, I think, um, yeah, he's been just as electric with what we've seen from him from the batting perspective as well. And hopefully get a few more of those knocks like we saw when he knocked up uh, sort of 40 from 20 balls against the sixes, I think it was. And Played some absolutely outrageous shots during that inning, so hopefully that's um, yeah that that's something to look forward to. And then on Ralph as well, just just an amazing story. As I said, he was playing great cricket in Tasmania. Nobody knew who he was, and then next thing we know, he's playing his first game on the MCG and taking a hat trick, which is just crazy to think about. And I know there was plenty of people keen to point out the fact that maybe um, yeah both of those uh, hat tricks were a bit fortunate in that yeah. maybe. <laughs> um, and LBW, if they sliding down leg or a bit high, but when these sort of stories are thrown up, and, and certainly they were, um, they've been some of the highlights of BBL 09 so far, you've just got to celebrate them, I think. And yeah, they're both great stories in that there's not many other competitions in the world, are there, where you get an Afghani spinner and a uh, Pakistani um, paceman that um, emerged through um, playing cricket with a, a tape tennis ball, and then he only got his break because of the fact that. I think he went to a trial with a, a T20 team in Pakistan and beat 250 other hopefuls to get a rookie spot in this particular team. And now here he is taking a hat-trick on debut on the MCG. So, uh, yeah, they're just absolutely amazing to see. And, and um, yeah, certainly they've been a couple of, uh, yeah, the real highlights so far of the Big Bash season. Yeah, well, I've got to tell you, Tim, uh, I was at the grounds, the Adelaide Oval, when Rashid took that hat-trick. And I'll tell you what, um, I think half the crowd didn't realise he actually took a hat-trick because it was kind of in between overs. But yeah, certainly, you certainly got to celebrate those things. And uh, there was no uh, no DRS. So, I mean, yeah, we, we certainly got up and about that day. There's another headline that, that we want to discuss, another spinner who signed a massive contract in recent weeks, uh, well, r- recent months, Chris Green, bold, uh, bold. <laughs> Chris Green's been knocked over from bowling for 90 days. One of the biggest headlines off the field. And yeah, what, what, how do you see that, mate? Um, I think most people were surprised because Green isn't a huge turner of the ball. His action doesn't really look too suspect to the naked eye. But uh, yeah, they've got him for 90 days. Yeah, so this, and, and it's something I was, was uh, just before um, chatting to you guys was trying to have a bit of a look at the, I don't know, the ins and outs of, of the exact ruling and, and why it is that they've settled on that 90-day ban. I couldn't sort of come across exact rulings or anything like that, but I know um, Brendan McCullum, who's his coach over in the IPL, uh, recently signed with the Kolkata Knight Riders, was saying that um, yeah, he was uh, confused as to why it was 90 days, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat as well. I don't understand why there's uh, a set length of, of penalty as such. If he could go into uh, whatever biometric testing it is and prove that his arm ball or whichever delivery was deemed illegal is legal and he can bowl it within the confines that cricket allows, then I don't see why he shouldn't be able to come back and play the next day. So to, to have that set length of time on he has to be out of the game or out of Cricket Australia's sanctioned competitions as it is for 90 days confuses me slightly. And I know there's a few other people that have raised um, eyebrows about that similar length of time as well. But yeah, it's definitely a setback for Chris Green as well. I know he hadn't taken too many wickets in the BBL after making... A bright start for the Sydney Thunder, but certainly he's one of those guys that's been on the fringes of national T20 selection as well. Um, he, he brings 
something very different to what a lot of the other spinners in that P20, you know, around that P20 squad, like Adam Zamper and Ashton Agar do in the City Bowls, a lot flatter, um, relies generally on changes of pace, but gone around the world and played in the Caribbean. He's played in uh, England um, and, and performed strongly in both of those competitions as well as the BBL too. So I would have suspected that he was someone that was on the radar for the uh, P20 World Cup coming up later this year in Australia. And hopefully this doesn't, um, yeah, deter too much from his chances of um, being part of that World T20 squad too because I think he can offer a fair bit, not just with the ball, but with the bat in the field as well and I think, although privately I'm sure he was uh, disappointed to not be part of BBL09 for the rest of the competition everything that he said publicly suggests that he's remaining sort of fairly upbeat and fairly optimistic and going to try and use this as a, a bit of a training phase to, to hopefully launch himself into a big year and um, give himself every chance of still making that World Cup squad it was a great show of support as well, as you mentioned, from Brendan McCullum. And in that statement, he actually said something quite interesting that I think it was a Cricket Australia imposed ban and that he was sort of uh, questioning whether he could go over to the ICC centre in Chennai and if he was able to be cleared there, whether that could potentially override the, the CA ruling. Yeah, def- definitely be interesting to see sort of how it all plays out. There's normally with these sort of rulings in sport, isn't there? Sort of always a, a higher body that you can potentially go to yeah. and, and try and um, get your suspension overturned. But um, certainly, like all the indications from Chris and, and the Thunder haven't been that they're, they're going to go down that path at this stage. I think, as far as my understanding is, um, he's only banned from Cricket Australia sanctioned competitions. So if there was the IPL or any other tournaments coming up uh, that Cricket Australia didn't have jurisdiction over, uh, he could still play in those. Um, but yeah, obviously that rules him out for the rest of the big bash and, and sort of potentially the rest of the summer if he was in um, contention for any other sort of New South Wales or any other squads like that. So yeah, we won't see any, any more of him in the big bash, which is a shame. Um, but yeah, I'm sure he's got sort of other plans on the horizon pretty quickly being one of those uh, globetrotting T20 players that we see so often now. Uh, look, it's disappointing, uh, particularly if you have him in your super coach team. I'm sure uh, you didn't because you're sitting pretty there at uh, 44th in the competition, if I'm correct. Uh, yeah, that's right. I was hoping you guys wouldn't bring that up. I'm trying to uh, <laughs> well, keep, the ego, keep the ego in check as much as possible. But, um, <laughs> yeah, had, had a bit of luck. And, and I guess when you spend as much time thinking about it and um, talking about it as I do, you, you'd hope that there's some reward at the end of it all. So I think there's um, there's one bloke in particular that's been – well, he had the highest score in round one. I think he's been in the top two or three coaches all year. And um, as we speak, he's got a lead of about 300 points at the top. So – Jeez. I think he's going to be pretty tough to catch, but yeah, I'm certainly pretty happy to um, be in the top 50 at the moment and hopefully can can maintain that rank for the rest of the season anyway. But I think as we've learned, like you need a you need a fair bit of luck in in Supercoach as well. You've only got mm. sort of so much control. You make your trades and then just hope that your players can go out and um, perform to expectation. And and, and that's not always going to be the case. I know. At one point this season, I um, captain Darren Finch, so you get your double points for captain and. Um, that was the round I think that he was, or was it, or, uh, certainly might have been the round before he was out first ball down in Geelong, but um, yeah, Aaron Finch obviously didn't have the best, best tournament up to heading over to India as well. So you can yeah think that you've got um, all your ducks in a row and the, your team looks perfect, but at the end of the day, you can't sort of do too much about it once they get out there on the field. So hopefully I can, uh, yes, yeah, stay up there in the rankings, but I know there's a lot of other coaches that uh, put a fair bit of time in and are pretty keen to sort of get into the top 100, top 50 as well. So uh, we'll see how we go from here. You're doing well, mate. And I think, um, yeah, you mentioned Finchie there. A lot of the renegades have bombed our season. You, you're, you're top 50, but we're lucky to be in the top 50% at the moment. We're <laughs> both inside the top 25%, which is uh, not too flash. But um, 
we did want to uh, ask you which player you're looking to bring into your team this week and uh, why is it Samit Patel? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it'll be Samit. But, uh, <laughs> so, um, well, I guess a lot of people would probably suspect that I'd be looking at a scorcher because they play twice in round nine or then in round 10 you've got um, the Sixers that are playing twice, so they're probably the, going to be the two most popular teams. Certainly Tom Curran from the Sixers is one I'm looking at. I haven't had him in since the early rounds and probably cost myself a few points based on that. But the player that I'm looking at most and putting at the top of the priority list is Chris Morris from the City Thunder. They don't actually have a double game week coming up uh, from here until finals, but he's just your prototype super coach player. He bats in the top six. There's been a couple of times where they've thrown him up to number five as well when they've needed sort of that pinch hitter late in the innings. He bowls his four overs every game, um, and he bowls it to death as well. Generally bowls the 19th over before Daniel Sams bowls the 20th. So that's the sort of role that can get you big points. And, yeah, he's been a really consistent scorer, scoring, scoring between sort of 50 or 80, 80, somewhere in that range most games. So he's the guy that I'm really looking at this week. I'd love to get Daniel Sands as well. He's a favourite of mine, but he's about 50000 cheaper, and you've only got so much budget mm. to play with. So, um, yeah, if coaches are looking for maybe a slightly cheaper all-round option, Chris Morris is uh, definitely the one that I that I would have at the top of the pile. Yeah, a safe bet, I reckon. Um, someone who is also a safe bet on the surface, uh, A.B. de Villiers, the 35-year-old, but we just saw a, an article that you posted up on the Supercoach Twitter there. There's a decent chance of showers at the Gabba for uh, for his debut against the Strikers, and he's priced at 225k in Supercoach, which is quite a lot to be paying for a, a player fresh off the plane who hasn't played in the BBL before. Would you be making AB a priority perhaps next week um, after the the Scorchers double game week, or is it a bit more of a wait and see approach and uh, see how it goes and see how the weather turns out? Yeah, definitely. So, well, that's going to be yeah one of the big talking points of this next round coming up as to whether they do play up in Brisbane or not. But isn't it sort of that situation at the moment where we'd love to see them out there playing cricket, but sort of a bit of rain and um, with all the, the weather issues that we've had going on around Australia is always welcome. So I don't think we can sort of prioritise the BDL too much over um, all the other issues that are going on with weather around the country at the moment. But I think um, strategically from a point of bringing AB in, yeah, 225000 even for a player of his calibre is a lot to pay especially when you consider that, well, he's not going to be bowling. So you might consider that for an all-rounder. Uh, a lot of people um, paid sort of 250000 plus to have Marcus Stoinis or Darcy Short in their team at the start of the season, expecting that they'd do a fair bit of bowling. That necessarily hasn't panned out that way. But, um, yeah, generally, if you're going to pay 200000 plus, uh, you're looking for an all-rounder because you want a guy that can contribute with bat and ball. And AB's side, the Heat, they're sort of locked in a bit of a logjam there in the middle of the table. So if we cast our eye over the BBL standings, um, we've got the Strikers, Thunder, uh, the Heat, as you mentioned, and the Scorchers vying for those last three playoff spots. Do you see the, the standings changing much between now and playoffs? And who do you think out of, out of those teams is going to be the one to miss out, do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I personally think that sort of the best five sides are the top five on the table at the moment. So that's the Stars, the Sixers, the Strikers, the Thunder and the Heat. I think they're the best five teams. Hobart, potentially a bit of a sleeper. Um, they've got Darcy Short, obviously, to come back from India. Um, he became part of that one-day squad when Sean Abbott got injured. And um, if he can sort of get going with Matthew Wade in the last couple of rounds with Hobart playing twice, 
um, or sort of three games very late in the season. Um, that could potentially sneak them into finals as well. But I just wonder about the Hurricanes, considering that James Fulter and Riley Meredith are both injured and out for a decent chunk of time now. Meredith to miss the rest of the tournament, so that's really going to step them back. Obviously, the Scorchers are sort of that team hovering just outside the, the final spots at the moment. And you think if Mitch Marsh continues in the, the rich vein of form that we've seen from him in the last few rounds, that maybe they could make a bit of a jump as well. But yeah, as I say, I'm more inclined to look at those top five teams at the moment and think that the, the finalists are, and the, the likely title winner are probably going to come from them. Um, I know that there's always going to be some doubts about the Melbourne Stars based on the fact that, well, they put themselves in a similar position to what they're in now so many times over and um, dominated the regular season only to fall over in finals. But I just think they're going to be so well placed with Glenn Maxwell and, and Marcus Stoinis, um with them for the full tournament, not having to go over to India. So... I almost think it's, yeah, it's a 90% chance, I'd say, that the Stars are going to be one of the two finalists. The Sixers, I, I do like them, and I think they're quite a strong team, a very well-balanced team as well. But I just wonder how much uh, losing Tom Curran later in the tournament is going to hurt them. So he'll go up to South Africa to link up with the one-day squad for England and also the 2020 squad. So that's probably going to be around finals time. So that's going to be a bit of a blow for them. And I think that might open the door for the Strikers potentially to play the Stars in the finals. So if I had to... Uh, make a bit of a prediction at this stage. I think it'll be the Strikers and the Stars. Um, I think the Stars are far and away on their day the, the best team. Whether we get the Melbourne Stars that we've seen in the regular season in finals are still up in the air, but they've just got two of the best match winners in the league in um, in Glenn Maxwell and, and Marcus Soinis. And if either of those turn it on in a the final, they could potentially win it off their own battle with the ball. So, yeah, I'd be very hesitant to go against the Melbourne Stars at this stage and I think Rashid Khan and a, a bit of his magic with bat and ball might be enough to uh, get the uh, Adelaide Strikers through to a final against the Stars and wouldn't it be great to sort of see uh, a packed out MCG for the BBL final and sort of Glenn Maxwell and, and Marcus Stoinis up against Rashid Khan and uh, Peter Fiddle and, and some of the uh, big names from the Strikers as well with sort of Alex Carey to, to filter back into their lineup after the one-day series as well. So, yeah, that's where I'm leaning at the moment. But still a fair bit to play out from this stage as well. And there's uh, sort of some pretty good teams in contention there as well. You'd um, Yeah, probably shouldn't ride off the Brisbane Heat. But um, I, I maybe think that uh, some of the other side's bowlings may be a bit stronger than um, and than their bowling contingent as well. And Chris Lynn and, and ABD Billies and their brilliance can only take you so far. So, yeah, a bit of a long-winded answer, but uh, the Stars and the Likers are my um, sort of two teams at this stage to beat with a bit of a logjam uh, of the next four or five sides. But, but uh, before you yeah, look at the Renegades down in eight who have had a completely dismal season and uh, with Aaron Finch and Kane Richardson in India at the moment, I can't really see where a win's going to come from. It might be the uh, the first team to go winless after winning the title, unfortunately, if the, unless the Renegades can um, <laughs> yeah, find them in the last few rounds. No one can deny that you're all over it. And as I said off the top, follow Tim Mitchell on Twitter for everything you need, BBL and Supercoach related. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy day, Tim, and joining us on the podcast. No, good on you, boys. Good to have a chat. Enjoy the rest of the BBL. Yeah, good luck too, in Supercoach, mate. I hope you uh, <laughs> you push top 10 and uh, can uh, take home the chocolates. Hopefully we haven't lost me. <laughs> Get your team in before lockout. Have a good one. <laughs> no, no worries, boys. Good on you. Well, uh, what an interview there with uh, with Tim Mitchell, um, as I've previously called him, Tim Michelle. Definitely uh, knew a lot more than us, Denham, and uh, yeah, we just we just set picks for him, and he uh, he was shooting. Yeah, he was nailing him. A refreshing change, as I think I said, to get someone on that works in this space knows what he's talking about. Absolutely, mate. And um, 
We touched on a lot with with Tim, obviously, but there's a couple of things that we uh, we brushed over a little bit that I want to explore a little bit deeper with you. The first one, mate, um, our our under pressure last week, Aaron Finch and the Renegades uh, before the Stars game. Bo Webster had faced 22 balls more than Aaron Finch, and they are zero and nine. What is happening to the to the Melbourne Renegades? Tim mentioned briefly that they might be the first team to go winless, and I'll just run through their um, their run home. They've got the Thunder away, which is going to be a tough game. The Heat at the Gabba with AB, Hobart at home, Sixers at the SCG, and then they've got the return fixture against the Heat at home. There may, may be a win against Hobart at home there, but uh, what do you think about the Renegades and, uh, yeah, what's happened to them? Uh, well, no, all I know is that I'm part of a Facebook group called the Melbourne Renegades Fans because just trying to push out the podcast, join a few FB groups, pretend I'm a fan and and post a link. And uh, let me just say that it is happening on those on those groups. So I'm a member of the Stars one and the Renegades one and people are just jumping off the Renegades group. They're like, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm out. You guys are too negative. Like you're too harsh on them, et cetera, et cetera. It's been hilarious to watch, but no, in all seriousness, what is going on there? Their, their team is not that bad. With Sean Marsh coming in, the fact that they haven't won a game is astounding. And you wonder, it doesn't look great for Maxi Klinger, who's by all accounts a great a great man and a great coach. And everything I've heard him say publicly is fine and it's been commendable. But yeah, it's hard not to take it personally, this record that he's just come in and taken over a premiership team. And uh, next minute they're on languishing on the bottom of the ladder, just not even looking like winning a game. We talked a little bit about Aaron Finch's leadership and obviously he's, he's back in India now. But the, this, the stand-in captain there, Dan Christian, got a little bit angry um, at Maxi for some, you know, some terse words that weren't really sure what they were. But uh, Maxi covered for him in the post-game. And then, yeah, Dan, Dan seemed to be jawing at him for most of the game. Um, do you reckon this, this season could maybe be put down to a bit of poor play, obviously? But just poor leadership from their experienced players like... Um, Christian has had nowhere near the season that he's had uh, had previous, and their their big signing Sean Marsh hasn't really done that much with the bat. Finchy obviously has been disappointing, but they just they, they've needed Bo Webster to go fifty every game or or about about the like. So yeah, I, I don't know what's going on here, and uh, yeah, I think that leadership can be brought into question. But what do you reckon? I think the the imports. I think the international signings in this competition. They have to be match winners and they have to be consistent for one. So the two pommy bowlers, Gleeson and Gurney, they, they've shown a whole lot of not much. Uh, but that also, it comes from the top. Like, what's the direction they're getting? Are they just, is it just poor execution? Are they just missing their Yorkers and, and going the distance or are the plans wrong? So you've got to take a deeper look, I think, into whether the leadership is the issue or just the cattle. Obviously, they have to scramble to get those those two, two imports. I'm probably going to sit on the fence here and, and not condemn the leadership straight away, but it doesn't bode well, especially when they're bringing in guys like Samit Patel, and you just feel sorry for for the coach Maxi Klinger in his first season as head coach. Look, it's the the clinical premiership hangover there from the Renegades, and you thought maybe the BBL might be absent from that, but they have just gone the other direction. A team that has gone on the other direction on the other side of Melbourne, the Melbourne Stars, mate. Um, we did touch briefly on them with Tim, but we didn't really touch a lot on uh, Maxi and. And he has just turned it around to no end uh, in recent recent games. Obviously, didn't get much of a chance when they were over in their uh, their last game with Stoin and uh, 
my boy Hilton Cartwright propping up the uh, top order there. What have you seen from Maxi that's uh, that's really got him going? And uh, I mean, after his his big innings that we were a little bit critical of, well, I know I was, um, and I said I, I I think I can see better from Maxi, and I have, and I've just seen yep. pretty much all of Maxi, and I think it's just going to keep getting better. What do you reckon? Hatless again. I love that. No helmet, no lid, no cap mm. whatsoever. Uh, he had the fresh fade there on the side of the hair, and he looked bloody marvellous. Uh, and then I saw, Haircut I actually watch. noticed when he put when he put the helmet back on, he did the whole push the, the sweat band in the helmet against the forehead and just saw about 150 mils of sweat pour out onto the pitch. So you can understand why he's taking that lid off. He's, he's, he's not only a hairy man, but also a very sweaty one. But you wonder without the hat whether... Like, is he just using the arm sweatband to get that sweat off? or Because it would be dripping into the eyes. You would have thought facing a white ball coming at you pretty quick and with the sweat coming down into the eyes, I don't know how he does it. It's amazing. What he's doing at the moment, mate, is just completely, completely ridiculous. I think um, there's always been that that kind of, you know, inconsistency with Maxi, but um, we're starting to see a little bit of consistent consistent mm. batting and also chipping in with the ball as well. So I think his, his leadership's been top-notch right at the other end of the spectrum from the Renegades. And, um, yeah, they, they look a good team. And did you see the comments from his coach, David Hussey, who, when asked about uh, what was potentially behind the resurgence of Glenn Maxwell, he said um, that they've given Glenn permission to be himself. And Maxwell conceded that he likes to be able to do what he does without any ramifications. And, and going to the nets, I think the quote was he likes to hit um, his first five or six balls in the nets for six. Um, and you can read between the lines there in that what they're implying is that when he's part of the Australian setup, remember he was, uh, Steve Smith chastised him at one point saying that he could train smarter after he got dropped. Um, mm. And it just doesn't, that doesn't look too great for Steve Smith as someone who probably has designs on becoming the Australian captain again when you've got ex-players and other people in and around the setup that you don't have to do too much reading between the lines to see what they're trying to say there that you know Steve Smith is an absolute workhorse he puts in more hours than anyone in the nets but not every elite cricketer is going is going to have that sort of personality and and going to thrive in that situation so it makes you wonder how much of a success Maxi could be in all three formats if he was allowed to be himself and a couple of his beginnings have come against or at least that beginnings the other night came against the Renegades who were missing their line and length more often than not um, but you can hardly blame them, I guess, with, with Maxwell, how he's opened up the stance and, and the way he moves around mm. the crease and opens up different areas of the ground. So bowling wasn't fantastic, but he, he, he sort of is, is the reason behind that. I think the Stars are probably the team to beat at the moment, but um, you've also got another team, the Brisbane Heat, uh, and we mentioned a lot about AB de Villiers coming through. They had a, uh, an interesting 13-over uh, match um, over there, and... Uh, Got the, got the chocolates after Tom Banton hit, I don't know, a lot off not many. And uh, he, he exits. Obviously, he's a big loss. But, I mean, bringing AB de Villiers in is a bit of a like-for-like. Like, and uh, you're going to see some brilliance from both of those players. But, uh, yeah, it, they, they look really good. But the team that they did play, Denham, the, uh, the Kane train, look, they're in all sorts. Potentially because of injuries. Potentially because um, Short had to go go over to the Australian team and they, they do look a little bit out of sorts. I'd love their team if they had Short and Wade at the top of the order. But um, yeah, they, they're not looking good and uh, they look a little bit under pressure. Under pressure. Pressure. I'm going to be brutally honest. That loss was humiliating tonight. 
I'm not sure what the thinking was behind tonight's game. Ben McDermott came in at six. And I know he plays that sort of role in the Australian T20 team, but this is not an Australian T20 team. This is a Hobart Hurricanes team. I just don't understand why we change the batting lineup so much after a win. It just makes absolutely no bloody sense to me. <sighs> you just heard our good friend Bev from the Bev Show. Safe to say he thinks the Hobart Hurricanes, his beloved Hobart Hurricanes, are under a bit of pressure. And judging by, the, by his face in that Facebook video, he is utterly mm. devastated about it. Uh, not understanding some of the inner workings in that side at the moment. Matthew Wade, he came back in as the captain, so I don't know if he's come back in with different ideas on what the batting order should look like in comparison to Ben McDermott. And funnily enough, he, he ran Ben McDermott out. He smashed the ball straight to cover and called Ben McDermott through for the single. McDermott was started the run and just had to sacrifice his wicket because it was a simple throwback to the keeper. And you could tell Matty Wade wasn't stoked about it. But yes, he played a good game, but I think he does have a little bit to answer for there in terms of he's the one who constructs the batting lineup and he's just run out the captain that he replaced. So a bit of trouble in paradise there in Hobart. Yeah, mate, 100%. I saw that live and, uh, yeah, Benny Mack was not a big fan of the run out or the, the call. I think he hit one straight to that position, um, maybe an over beforehand, and they nearly ran themselves out then. But when you're hitting it there, it's he was literally he was he was only maybe ten meters from the pitch, and that's he was well out. Wade's Wade's got a lot to answer for there, particularly because he's playing Test match cricket. You shouldn't be taking those sort of risky runs, and maybe he's gone a little bit over the top with that. But uh, oh, mate, it's tough. Yeah, it's tough when um, when short's gone, obviously, and I think. You know, the Hurricanes can definitely give themselves some excuses for this season. Meredith's injury, Faulkner's injury are obviously key blows and obviously Short's absence, but it's really tough for a team who they are playing tonight. Let's not uh, let's not crystal in ourselves again. They are playing the Perth Scorchers, which is a pivotal matchup. And I guess if you're listening to this after that game, the winner of that game has a very good shot at finals because as we mentioned with Tim, there's about four teams that are fighting for three spots at the moment. And uh, if the Hurricanes can get a win tonight at home, they'll be looking uh, right back in the mix and really put the pressure on the Scorchers team. They'll have to get past uh, the biggest head though, the Mm. Bison, who's on fire. Did you see his knock of 93? I actually didn't manage to see it because I was out and about, but I'm so happy for the Bison. And uh, it just shows what can really happen if you you rock up and and make time to come (laughs) on this podcast here. Uh, so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully other players can can reap the rewards, and hopefully he's letting the boys know, just sending him a few texts off. That that's it, mate. And and honestly, um, I, I heard I heard the uh, commentators yesterday discussing if uh, he's a chance for the World Twenty Twenty squad, and I think you'd be silly to leave him out. To be honest, he's um, he's proved his worth with the bat. He can really really spank him, put together a good innings. He's been relatively consistent. And he's also uh, able mm. to bowl as well, so I don't know why he wouldn't wouldn't put him in that T uh, Twenty World Cup squad because he's just a live wire, and I think this has probably been his best season. And uh, I think there's a little bit of the Bison that's thinking, "Oh well, Shawnee, Shawnee's gone over to the Renegades. How are you doing over there, mates? Uh, you know, counting your money over there and bloody, uh, you know, falling falling to Travis Head uh, pies. It's a bit of an interesting family <laughs> dynamic, I'm sure, next time they yeah. meet. But, uh, yeah, I think Mitch has got the, the wood over him this year. And uh, 
yeah, couldn't be happy happier for him, mate. And uh, look, I, I'm I'm pulling for the Scorchers to make finals. I think the Hurricanes might uh, might have to put themselves back in that mix. But uh, as Tim mentioned before, he he reckons that the top five teams should be the top five teams. I have a hard time thinking that the the Thunder are going to hold their place there. They've obviously lost Chris Green. They've obviously got some good consistent players, and we didn't rate them before the start of the season. Kawaj is obviously going to be there for the the duration of the tournament, and um, they they do have they do have a decent squad. But I think this Scorchers team is a little bit of a dark horse, particularly. You know, when, when they're on the same amount of games, I think they've just got a little bit more X-factor than that Thunder team who are a little bit humdrum and after their very promising start to the season have fallen off a bit. Yeah, it's going to be tight. Uh, I pretty much agree with everything you're saying there. The Perth Scorchers, especially over there at Optus Stadium, look quite dangerous. One other thing that did happen the other night though, Jake, was uh, quite controversial, uh, was the Matty Renshaw catch. Mm. You see this one where he, he fell over the rope threw it up, stepped over the rope, jumped from beyond the rope and parried the ball back inside. Uh, and that was a source of a mm. bit of a fair bit of conversation on social media. It was obviously the correct call and that rule was actually changed in 2017 to reflect that, but it doesn't really sit well with me, the fact that he can he can jump outside and then just jump up and keep keep tapping it up until he, a teammate comes and comes and assists. What do you reckon? Yeah, as you said, changed in 2017, mate. I absolutely loved it. Uh, to it was be a good honest, bit of work. it wasn't as exciting. Yeah, I look, I, it wasn't as exciting as I thought it would be. But as soon as it was uh, was called out, I think that's the correct decision, obviously to the rules. But I, I think another discussion is, as you said, maybe that shouldn't be a rule. But mate, imagine, imagine a bloke going into the crowd. They're doing like NBA. They're going into the front row. They're knocking over popcorn. They're knocking over beers. They're tapping balls left, right, and center. It's a bit of a hot potato, hot potato. And uh, I couldn't give you a rule that that shouldn't add to the entertainment of the big bash. And I think that just adds a little bit more entertainment. So um, I'm I'm happy with the rule, honestly. Um, I don't really I don't really mind that. It's probably not cricket, uh, inverted commas, but at the same time, I think Renshaw, Renshaw was smart. Renshaw did the right thing. No one really knew what was going on. Even the third umpire said it was not out, and then he went, oh, shit. Actually, he was absolutely sorry. clueless. We, that, was, that, one that was hilarious. Yeah, sorry. We had no idea, and that's that's why you were reaching for the rule book, because I think... I think that's what he was doing. He was buying himself a bit of time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely buying himself time. He, he was hearing the commentators or maybe something else, and... Someone's tapped him on the shoulder and been like, oh, mate, uh, we changed that rule in 2017. He went, oh, shit. Um, so, look, I, I'm, I'm happy for the rule to exist um, as long as it's, you know, consistent across all, all paths. I think it's, uh, you know, an exciting rule and potentially you can get some diving Chris Jordans out on the boundary, uh, doing a bit of a Superman tap back into play. And uh, I, think, I think we'll see some good catches from it. And if you've got the rule there in the first place to, uh, to allow fielders to go, outside the rope and then come back in anyway. Why shouldn't it be the same with uh, with another fielder there to support? I think it's a, a good team tactic and uh, and good fielding all round. No, well put. Good work, mate. Good good point. Um, what else have we got, Jake? <laughs> I'm just looking at the run sheet and good I'm drawing work, a blank. Well done. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on the run sheet here. So what else happened? I've seen the strikers. Uh, strikers have flown under the radar a little bit. They, they were up and down and having yeah, a few losses, yeah. not getting over the line, but they had a really, really good win against the Renegades, mm. had a good win. And the, the hat-trick from Rashid Khan really brought the tournament to life and potentially has 
has bought the Magic Fountain another week. I was getting a few messages saying, mate, just um, <laughs> as the host of this show, you probably got to put your foot down and just see if we can devise a new segment for Jake. No, you were. <laughs> uh, I, haven't, I haven't heard any of that, mate. I reckon the Magic Fountain is, uh, is thriving. Um, Rashid Khan, 2020. Tell you what, mate, I was copying it from all angles. I, I got... I got a message from a mate, um, Rashid obviously got out for, was it a duck or definitely not much yeah. at that game, which I was at, at the Adelaide Oval and Rashid is on a hat trick. We are losing our bloody minds. I'm thinking that I'm an oracle <laughs> or, well, at least the fountain is an oracle. I won't take credit for that, but my goodness, when that went up and you can see it on our, uh, our Instagram save stories there because I was pretty happy with it. Um, I'm not much of a recorder of the moment. I like to enjoy the moment, but I, f- I felt like this was a really poignant moment for the Magic Fountain, perhaps a turning point after a bizarre Hilton Cartwright uh, inclusion. But Lloyd Pope's kicking along quite well. Rashid, the the year of Rashid, man. And I'll just jump in there, Jake, just for anyone who's listening to their, if this is the first podcast they're listening to of ours, go back and, or you don't have to go back because I won't, I won't put you through it, but... Jake's been uh, doing a little good boy, good boy <laughs> footy energies, sort of looking at a few numbers and lining them up and connecting the dots and coming up with a few theories, um, essentially out of thin air, but mm. but hypothetically from something called the Magic Fountain. We haven't got got a segment of, of today's show because um, big interview to kick off the show. No, but, I'm um, just riding the wave. That's just a bit of background for anyone who's who's come on board late. And uh, it was actually quite a necessary hat trick, I thought, at the Adelaide Oval on a Wednesday at 3 p.m. I realised that. The BBL is sort of built these days with the broadcast deal on having standalone matches so that none of the matches overlap. But this is a time when I think that they need to go away from that approach because surely you're going to get more people to the game on a Wednesday if it's at 6 or 7 o'clock just overlapping with the other game that's on at a different state. Um, and it's going to be more accessible mm. for people that, that go to work. I know it's school holidays, but I couldn't watch the game. I was at work and uh, I luckily enough had finished and was on the train watching the hat trick when it did, when it did occur. But uh, this is something I think needs to be looked at going forward. I don't think we should be having 3 p.m. Wednesday games in the middle of January when most people have gone back to work. Yeah, well, we had a chat with Bev about that, mate, and uh, about the WBBL being scheduled at a ridiculous time. And um, I was surprised when I was offered a ticket uh, to the members that there was a 3, 3 p.m. game going on there on a Wednesday. And uh, obviously it is school holidays, but I think the BBL definitely have their, their eggs in a lot of baskets, but it's mainly that sort of... Uh, kid engagement and grassroots engagement sort of thing. So it was a pretty half full crowd, but they tried to, um, yeah, obviously they, they offered about 25% off, off foods and beers and, and stuff like that. But uh, they also, uh, did you know this? They played uh, to- Toy Story 4 after the game on the on the oval just to kind of get the kids in and I think I think they probably looked at it, the strikers team and went, oh, well, we're probably not going to get that many people there. Um, so we better offer something else. So they did well to uh, to alleviate that, and luckily we got one of the weirdest slash best games I've been to. Um, in obviously the strikers lost, but uh, I'm not uh, I'm not too fussed with that because at least Rashid did his uh, did his work, and it was yeah. a very entertaining game uh, till the very end. It sure was, and uh, I wish I was there to see it, but uh, sadly at work, so it wasn't to be. But look, Jake, I think that's about all we've got time for. We obviously haven't had our usual segments, some of which are brilliant, some of which aren't so much, but... Don't know which you're referring to there, mate. (laughs) If this is your first time listening, make sure you bash the subscribe button because if you've come on board to hear Tim 
talk some sense, then uh, we'll try to keep that theme going for you. It was still a couple of weeks left of the Big Bash, so hit subscribe. We'll be having weekly episodes come at you. And we're also at GSP Podcast on Instagram and GSP Podcast on Twitter. Yeah, mate. And uh, yeah, five to six games to go for each team. So after that, we've got finals, the Eliminator. I'm very much looking forward to the Eliminator. And uh, yeah, I I hope we don't start a uh, GSP civil war because I know a lot of people do love your media watch, but uh, I'm going to come at you hot with a a brand new magic fountain if it speaks to me, you know, if it speaks to me. If it doesn't, you know, I'm not going to force it. Sounds fantastic. All right, Jake, we'll leave it there and we'll touch base again next week. Remember, everyone, just jump on the socials and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a beat. And uh, have a good morning, afternoon or evening. Under pressure. Hello, this is Ben. G'day, Ben. Now, you're a mate of uh, both Jake and I, aren't you? Yes, yes, that's correct. So um, I just want to confirm something because Jake's refuting some of the things I put to him in the podcast today, but um, just what are your no, exact Jake, thoughts yeah. on the Magic Fountain? Uh, my thoughts of the Magic Fountain are that it does have some potential and I can see where he's trying to go with it, but they drag on for far too long, in my opinion. He could probably get out what he's trying to say in a minute and a half, two minutes. No need for it to drag on four or five minutes. I think he just gets lost in his own mind sometimes. All right, thanks for taking the time, Ben. We'll, uh, we'll pass that on to the man himself. No worries, thank you. She came in smiling.